If you have your Bible, uh, open it to Matthew chapter 21. Uh, sheer panic just overcame me. Uh, but it's, it's washed away, indeed. I said to myself, Hosanna. And I'll explain the depth of, of that in a second. Alright, let us let me read the first 11 verses of chapter 21 and we will get into the heart of this. Um, uh, now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage to the Mount of Olives, and then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them and He will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put, them, put, their, put on them their cloaks, and He sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him, shouting, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred, stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Let's pray. God, I I come before you and I thank you for this time. I thank you for this place. I thank you for this opportunity to proclaim your word, Father. I pray that you would uh, guide us, Father, dwell among us, free our minds from distraction. I pray that you would bind the enemy from this place, Father, that we see your character, Father, that you might reveal your character in us and we might just partake of you, God. Thank you so much for Jesus. I thank you for the events that we will talk about tonight, the events that we will go through this week and celebrate next Sunday. I thank you for Jesus. It's in his name. Uh, it is Palm Sunday. Next week is Easter. By the way, um, we will be meeting here at 11 o'clock next week, not at 5 o'clock. We're moving to Sunday morning, 11 o'clock. Um, and it's going to be those first double doors that you come to. Training, you walk in those first double doors, that's where you'll be. You'll see signs next week, but uh, we will be up there. There's another church that meets in the cafeteria on Sunday mornings, use a spot for their kids, and so we're going to go up, up there. Our, our kids will meet above us. So the, those first two big double doors you walk in, 11 o'clock next Sunday morning, where we, is where we will be for Easter Sunday morning. Uh, we are on Palm Sunday. Next week is Easter, so the, we want to do something special for these eight days, uh, begin to help us to experience Easter. Um, We will, Dave and I will both be uh, sharing time, writing a blog every day, every morning for us to to know what exactly was transpiring, what was taking place on each one of those days. So tomorrow, we'll be writing about what happened on the Monday following the stuff we talk about tonight. And then the Tuesday and Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, all the way up to Sunday, where we will be blogging, and the, the intention of this is for us to, to really experience Easter, to walk along this path with Christ and what he was 
and what, what people were doing around him, how his life was affected, how his life was impacted, and uh, all of the, the stuff that he was doing. We are going to experience Easter together. And what we'll see tonight is there was this great uh, aura of excitement in the air this Passover week for these people, the greatest celebration. It's a religious holiday. It's a national holiday. It's a massive thing for them, celebrating the, the greatest triumph in their national history when God brought them out of uh, Egyptian slavery. When Okay, we're not oppressed. We're not slaves anymore. Now we're free. We're going to be able to get to live our lives and we celebrate the fact that God did that, very much like Easter for us next week uh, from, from a, a different perspective. Uh, so we'll want to talk about those, these next eight days during these next eight days. But as we get this message tonight, I want to bring, there's really four major players that are part of this, one individual and then three groups of people. And I want us, as we walk through this, to be able to connect, relate to, to to each one of the four. So I'm going to spell them out and, and kind of talk about what they do before we get into the heart of the message. First is Jesus. Jesus is obviously the major player of, of every story, of, of all of Scripture, and here he is the major player. But his attributes that we see is that Jesus is, is very focused and very much at work, getting to the task at hand. Where I, I just read the first 11 verses, but we'll get into some of the stuff where he begins to cleanse the temple. And Jesus is accepting of this praise and this worship when they're shouting Hosanna to him. But he leaves that aside and gets right to work doing the point, the, the reason he's here. And I want us to relate to that, where we can receive acclaim or not be distracted by, by people saying, save us, help us, or, or worshiping, uh, or just any sort of distraction. And it's, but instead, get down to the task at hand. Next thing, that where we will... The next group of people where we can really relate to are the, just the bystanders, the people that are around them. And these people are crazy fickle. They are flip-floppers. They are one moment worshiping God, the next moment completely confused by Jesus, and the next moment they're saying crucify him. That's who these people are, and that's who, who we are. I, 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 I can relate to this, and I think I can as well, where there are moments in our lives can hold on to that says, wow, that was a, a moment in my life where I was deeply connected with, with my God. That was a road into Jerusalem, s- worshiping God, singing Hosanna, shouting, you are the one who has come to save us, all those things. And then the very next moment, watching Jesus and wondering, what, in the, what are you doing? What is happening? And that's where these bystanders are. When he goes to cleanse the temple, it just doesn't make sense to them just to a few hours ago, they were saying, wow, you are, the, you are the one who's come to save us. And now here they are just kind of confused as to what's going on. And I hope that we can relate to that. I can definitely, definitely relate to that in this moment. Is this, I've been in moments of worship just a few minutes ago. And there will be times where I'm like, God, what are you doing? Show me how you're trying to reveal your character to my life. And I hope that we can connect with these bystanders. And second, or the third thing, is this group of religious people. When he goes to cleanse the temple, they, the scripture is going to call them indignant. And we can read between the lines and see that they're jealous of the power and authority of Jesus and the imposition that Jesus is making on their way of life. And we, we have to be able to connect with that, to relate to that. 
we're indignant a lot of times. We're jealous of the power of Jesus a lot of times. And then lastly, the disciples. The fourth group are the disciples. These guys throughout this whole week are extremely confused. And they're all really trying to be obedient, but they're all failing at being obedient. And I think we can all relate there. Confused a lot as to what, God, why am I so dry? God, why are you doing this? Why am, am I having trouble relating to, to in, in my relationships? Why, why are you giving me all this grief? What are you doing in my life? And we really want to be obedient, but most of the time when, where the river meets the road, our flesh doesn't allow us. We are disobedient. Now let's get into, uh, get into the, the heart of, of the message. The one word that, that I want to land on and for us to, to really understand is the word Hosanna. It's the, the last words that we sung as we came into this. And I said Hosanna when I found my, my notes. This word Hosanna is, you know that the New Testament was written in a language called Greek. Uh, the Greek word for Hosanna is strikingly enough, what do you, take a guess. The Greek word for Hosanna. It's easy. Hosanna. The Greek word for Hosanna is Hosanna. However, it is not really a Greek word. It's a trend. Like our word, we're translating Hosanna for Hosanna. They are translating Hosanna for a phrase in the Hebrew. This is a quote from ancient Hebrew text. And the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. And it's not a word for them in Hebrew. It's a phrase. And that phrase is Hoshiana. All right? That, the phrase is Hoshiana. And it is save us please. It's an exclamation, save us, please. It would be what a helpless person would yell. Picture this. A wife walks into uh, her bedroom and finds her husband like experiencing a heart attack. She has no idea what to do, how to save him, whatever. She would scream this. A Hebrew woman would scream this. Help us, save us, I can't fix my husband. Please, someone. It would be like a 911 call. You go and you see something. You walk in, find your husband experiencing a heart attack. The instant reaction would be to grab a phone, 911. Somebody come. Please help us. That's what this phrase means. It's a 911 call. And it's, it's different than just a 911 call because there is a piece of this Hoshiana phrase that, that is, there's uh, Jehovah that's in there. So it's not just help. Help us please as an exclamation to anyone. It's help us please as an exclamation to God. Follow that? This word is found one time. This phrase is found one time in all of Scripture. The words that make up this phrase are found all over the place. But there's only one time where these words come together to make this phrase. Hoshua read it earlier. It's Psalm 118.25. Save us, we pray, O Lord, O Lord. Save us, we pray. That's, that's the... Hoshiana, save us, we pray. It's an exclamation to God saying, please, please save us. And it's, it's really significant because this Hosanna is a Greek word translation for this Hebrew word phrase. And it doesn't show up in the New Testament at all from, from a phrase standpoint. It shows up as a word standpoint. And it's because that these Hebrew people have been taught forever that there's going to be a time when you are being oppressed where God is going to come and send someone to save you. And so they've been indoctrinated and ingrained to have this expectation around them that they have taken a phrase in another language and made it into a word 
in this language? Do you see the, the, the significance of that? It's ingrained in their culture, so it becomes part of the vernacular of the Jew in Jerusalem, so much so that there's part of this crowd of these bystanders that are saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, are probably some school people that follow and understand that this is a Hebrew word or phrase that says Hoshiana, and there's some of them just say Hosanna because that's what I was taught as a kid, that somebody's going to come and we're going to shout Hosanna to them. But they know instinctually when this person comes, I say Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They, it is ingrained in them, this phrase, this understanding here. So let's look at this verse, Matthew 21.9, with this knowledge. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. John Piper preaches about this, this sermon. And in his sermon he says this, over the centuries, the phrase Hoshiana stopped being a cry for help in the ordinary language of the Jews and instead became that word Hosanna. Instead, it became a shout of hope and exultation. It was a bubbling over of the heart that sees hope and joy and salvation on the way and can't keep it in. So, in our, our understanding of Hoshiana originally being a 911 call, help me, somebody come, please save my husband is going to die, it becomes, I hear the sirens of the ambulance, it's coming down the street. You see the difference. It's not so much that I'm helpless and more that help is on its way. I see it, it's coming. And that's what these people are shouting and understanding. And, and here's the, the reason for us, the significance of, for us in this is for us to relate to these bystanders. They are not, not enslaved, but they are being... Uh, oppressed by the Roman government. And they're not just being oppressed by the Roman government, they have a leader that is not Roman or their own. It's an Idumean leader who's over them, telling them what they can and what they can't do. There's this deep oppression, and they feel it, and they experience it, and they, can't, they have very little autonomy as a nation. And now, here comes this one to come and save them. We recognize you, and so it's significant for them. It's getting ready to happen. This important thing is about to happen. Here are these people in this holy city really excited about Jesus coming. This Passover is, is happening, so there's a, a giddiness and excitement that's going on among these people. A big part of this happening. An oppressed and helpless people now see Jesus coming, now see the ambulance coming down the hill to come and rid them of their oppression and finally, once and for all, give them their autonomy, give them their strength, give them their purpose for their life. They're celebrating with the Passover, the greatest event in their national history, and now combine this with this level of anticipation that they've been taught and ingrained and indoctrinated their whole lives, their excitement level cannot be overstated. They're so crazy excited. And what does Jesus do? The very first thing that he does. After, after all this happens, their excitement level can't be overstated with what happens in, in 1 through 11. And now in verse 12, Jesus is finished with that great Hosanna, blessed is you, comes the name of the Lord, whatever. I got to go get to what I'm here for. Verse 12 of chapter 21. <clears throat> I'm going to read the next three verses. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. We've heard this many times before, but this is vital for us on this 
Palm Sunday on the precipice of this Holy Week leading up to Easter to come to grips with what this is saying to us. Verse 13, he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called the house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And when and the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that they did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna the son of David, they were indignant. Religious leaders, bystanders, Jesus. All three of those here doing what we talked about at the top of the message that they were going to be doing. But there is great symbolism that's found here. First, in Jesus clearing the temple. There is great symbolism that's here. Go back to Matthew 21, 12. It'll be on the screen. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple and overturned the tables and the money changers and the seats of those who sold the pigeons. This is Jesus in the face of those who use religion for personal gain. And I said what I said at the beginning about us relating to the bystanders and to Jesus and to the disciples and and to the religious people. We need to relate. We need to see ourselves in them. We need to see how many times we are these religious people selling doves in the temple that we use religion for our own personal gain. And Jesus is here in their face violently destroying them and destroying what they're about. But there's more than just that symbolism. This is a symbolism I want to land on. Jesus cleanses the temple. This is the place where the Jews go and meet with God. It's, it's said and known that in the temple, the Shekinah glory of God. The Shekinah glory is the, the unaltered, unchanged presence of God. The only place where that can exist, where you can go and, and, and be in that place, is this temple. And it's been polluted. And Jesus comes, the first act in the Holy Week on his walk to the cross is to come and cleanse the place where God dwells. Do you see the symbolism that's there? What's going to happen on Friday night when he's dead is he's come to cleanse the place where the Shekinah glory of God dwells but has been polluted. That's us. The end result of Easter is a cleansed temple where the Shekinah glory of God can and does dwell. And Jesus is coming here. The very first act that he does is symbolically cleansing the temple and symbolically clearing out the, 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 the grossness that's there, the, the, the sin that's in the midst of this temple. Do you see the symbolism? John Gill, a commentator, he says this, For he entered not as a temporal king. He entered in, he's talking specifically about this verse 12. He entered the temple not as a temporary king, but he went to the house of his heavenly father, the place where his heavenly father lived, where his glory stayed and lived, as the Lord and proprietor of it. He goes into the temple as the Lord, meaning the one who controls it, 
and the proprietor, the one who owns it. He goes into this temple to preach it and to purge it. What's happening in this week of Easter is him coming into the temple to purge it, to cleanse it, so that the glory can rest there. What's happening in the week of Easter is him coming and cleansing and purging our hearts and our souls so that the glory of God can come and live there. The symbolism is beautiful. And he does it among people who are fickle, among people who are jealous, among people who are indignant, among people who are confused and don't understand and question who he is and what he's doing, and among people who will sell him out for 30 pieces of silver. That is Jesus coming to save us in spite and in the midst of our rebellion. And it's beautiful and brings us to a point and a place of worship. Jesus presents us to God as perfect and blameless and holy. Jesus is presenting this temple as perfect and blameless and holy. Uh, Connect here with Jesus. Moments ago, Jesus was receiving all this glory and all this honor, and now here he is violently cleansing the temple. Uh, I haven't done it in, in a few years, but uh, I used to play in this uh, a golf tournament, every time, a golf tournament, the FCA golf tournament, Fellowship of Christian Athletes fundraiser. And for the winner of this tournament, there was a prize where you got to go play at TPC Sawgrass, which is, if you're a golfer, you know it's one of the most famous courses around. That's the, the seventh hole. It's got the island green. If you've played Tiger Woods on, uh, I guess you're not supposed to mention his name. Uh, if, you, if you've played Tiger Woods golf on any, uh, any PlayStation or any of that stuff, you've, you've played Sawgrass. So it's a big deal. If you win this tournament, you get to go to Sawgrass. The first year that we, we actually won this tournament twice and got to go to Sawgrass twice. The first year we won, we were so excited. We, were, we walked into the locker room at the TPC Sawgrass, and it was, it's crazy amazing. You walk in there, and it's like, this is the players-only locker room, and I was, a, I, got to, I was a player, so I got to walk in there, and it's like uh, plaques of, of all the guys who, who played in last year's, they play a, a big tournament there. Kyle, what's the tournament they play there? The Players' Championship. So they, they, all the guys that played in last year's Players' Championship, they've, they've got lockers with their like, name tags on them. There's Tiger Woods, there's Phil Mickelson, and here I am. I'm a player in this tournament walking, you know. I'll just take my locker next to Phil's. Uh, uh, so, and so I was all really excited, just about to get to participate in this golf tournament. You get to play here and get to, to experience this, this deal. I got to experience there. Then it was fantastic to get to participate in it. Then the next year we didn't win. The following year we won again and got to go back. But this year it was less about oh my gosh, I'm at Sawgrass where my, my hero Payne Stewart got to play, where he walked and where all these great golfers, I'm, I'm less in all of that and more I'm here to do a job. I want to win this golf tournament. We played terribly the first year. While we're there the next year, we're like, okay, we can do this. And we actually, we finished second, but we went to go to work. I, I wasn't there just to participate. I was there to go to work. And I, I say all of that to say this, Jesus is here. He is cleansing this temple 
for the disciples, for these bystanders, and the fickle and the confused and the disobedient to, to breathe all that in deep, but to understand that we are walking through this not just to be in awe of, of what's, what's going on, in awe of in worship of Jesus and what happened, but to participate in this whole Holy Week situation. Just like Jesus is here to go and to get to work. We are here to go and to get to work and to see what God has for us and how he's going to reveal his character to us and how he's going to use that to reveal our character in us. And it's a beautiful thing. The, the last symbolic thing for us to, to come to. Jesus opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Matthew 21, verse 14 to 15. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Two things that are happening here. Who is receiving from Jesus? The blind and the lame. Those who come to Jesus fully aware, not hiding their deep and desperate need. Those who say, Hosanna, in the, the Hebrew way. I can't help myself, I need you to help me. Hosanna, the wife who walks into her husband's bedroom to find him having a heart attack. Help me. The ones who receive from Jesus are the ones who are fully aware of their deep need. God opposes the proud and gives to the humble. And we can connect. We are both proud and humble all the time. We can place ourselves in a position to receive from God. We can place ourselves in a position to be in opposition from God. Then the second half of that. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, saying, Hosanna to the Son of God, they were indignant. Do you see the nonsense of this? When they saw the wonderful things that Jesus did, that made them indignant. Wow, that was an amazing thing you did, Jesus. Stay away from me. It just doesn't make any sense. But before you go and get indignant over your indignancy, understand we live there all the time. Thank you for the wonderful things that you've done in my life. Wow, amazing. We will worship next week on Easter and celebrate the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. We worship singing Hosanna just a few minutes ago, all excited. I raised my hands. It was a beautiful moment of worship. But there's going to come a time in the next 24 hours where I will be indignant towards God and what he requests and requires of me. We are this. Indignant when we come to the wonderful things of God. But the beauty is Jesus remained at work. The indignancy of these guys in this temple does not alter the motivation and an action of Jesus, even slightly. And that's the beauty that draws our hearts to him in worship even more. I want to bring two points to you. 
Two more verses. James 4, 6 says, Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We saw it in practice in Matthew 21. Here it is, James writing it. 1 Peter 5, 5. Peter says it. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Here's a dumb moment. Do you want to receive from God? Or do you want to be in opposition to God? Go ahead and answer. Receive, yeah. Duh. Okay, how do you do that? Indignancy or humility? Pride or admission of your need? Who receives from Jesus in our verse verse 15? In 14 to 15, the blind and the lame who are fully aware receive from Jesus. And those who see his, his beautiful nature and are indignant are repelled from Jesus. Those who are confident in themselves and are indignant and jealous of Jesus, and are, they're condescending to these children, and they are those who are praising him, and those who are helpless that are changed by Jesus. Connect with these religious people. We white-knuckle, firmly hold our grip on our autonomy and to our own pursuit of happiness. And a result of that is placing ourselves in opposition to God. Do you see that? When you cling to your rights, you place yourself in opposition to God. When you cling to your rights, you place yourself in opposition to God. We're stupid people. We do it all the time. For some reason, we, we can't see it. God is moving each of us, moving each of us throughout our lives, bringing difficulty, bringing happiness bringing friendships, bringing pain, bringing churches, bringing relationships, bringing Scripture, all these things, weaving lives together to bring us to this understanding. He's trying to ease our grip on our autonomy to enter into full submission to who He is, which brings joy and peace and Love and perfection, which brings the kingdom. Which brings the elation that Mary Magdalene felt when she saw an empty tomb. That's where God is directing us. And he's using every event in your life to convince you of that. We get so uptight. I get so uptight. At <laughs> My life is so hard. We're sitting there. It's so stupid. Life isn't about us being happy. It's not about us having things and having ease of burden. It's not about Joel Osteen nonsense. It's about understanding and having the character of God and His perfect love for us revealed to us. And God is moving the events of our lives to convince us of that. That He is the only satisfying thing in our lives. Release your grip on your autonomy. Release your grip on your pride. 
release your grip on your indignancy and place yourself in a position to receive from God, to worship who he is. This happens in the midst of our confusion, our indignance, our being fickle, our being flip-flopping. Jesus offers us and pursues us with great vigor. Here he is at work bringing this to light, cleansing our temple so that we can be in his presence holy and blameless. That is the purpose of this message. That is the purpose of this next week. That is the purpose of, of this life is to become more and more convinced of that fact. Let's pray. God, you are perfect, you are righteous, and you are holy. Convict our hearts of the sin that we have seen in the religious people and seen in ourselves, that we have seen in these bystanders and we see in ourselves, that we have seen in the disciples and we see in ourselves. Convict us of those those flaws in our heart, those, the fallen condition of ourselves, God. And allow us to, to come to the beautiful understanding that your Son has come and lived perfect and died perfect and resurrected perfect so that we might be perfect. God, we thank you. For Jesus. God, we thank you for dry times. We thank you for difficult times. We thank you for pain and for tragedy and for hardship. We thank you when people are ridiculous around us and impose their ridiculousness on us because you're shaping our character to be more like yours, God. And we more purely partake of you. We are no longer in awe of where we are, but instead partaking of the beauty of what you've done in our lives. Guide us in these moments. Guide us this week as we partake. We experience the resurrection. We experience your death. We experience Easter. We trust you fully. But we want to trust you more. Guide us now as we respond to you. In Christ's name.